Welcome to the Kids Are People Too podcast. I'm your host, Salita Williams, wife, mom of three little people, educator by both passion and profession, child advocate, parent consultant, and an enthusiastic supporter of you on your positive parenting journey. If you've ever questioned if your parenting methods are effective, if you've ever wished that you had just a few more tools in your proverbial parenting toolbox, or felt like you needed a slight adjustment to your parenting style, or a major one, no judgment here, then you are definitely in the right place because this podcast was curated just for you. Now, this is not your typical parenting podcast. It's actually probably one of the most unconventional parenting podcasts out there. We are not spending our time talking about how to get your kids to eat their veggies. Here, we are doing much deeper dives. Of course, we're going to talk about how to get these kids together, but we'll do that by discussing the facts that surround child developmental psychology, as well as child cognitive development timelines so that we are better able to manage our expectations. We have conversations about how our own temperament, our own personality, and our own past experiences shape our approach to parenting and the significant impact that these things have on the way that our children respond to us. While this podcast has been created with parents in mind, it is not just for parents. This is for any adult that interacts with any little people in any capacity. Even if you don't yet have your own biological children, or if you're not yet experiencing any challenges with your children, you can still definitely benefit from having some extra tools in the toolbox that are ready when you need to grab them. So if you are ready to learn, to grow as a person and a parent, or to just be reassured in what you're already doing, then stick around as we jump into today's episode. Hi guys, welcome to episode four of the Kids Are People Too podcast. On today's show, we'll be talking about the importance of fostering a home environment that places a greater value on cooperation than it does on compliance. And we'll discuss some of the long-term negative effects of prioritizing compliance when we should be cultivating spaces for cooperation. So let's get into it. So many of us talk about getting our kids to listen, to follow rules, to do as they're told and to just cooperate. We use these terms interchangeably as if they all mean the same thing. But we have to know that there is a huge difference between demanding compliance from our children and creating spaces that foster a genuine desire within them to cooperate. I want to spend some time talking about compliance first because it usually drives the approach for most parents. Compliance is yielding or conforming to the rules, to laws, to demands that are placed on you. It is the sacrificing of your own personal desires to satisfy someone else's requirements. When you think about compliance, it gives very much hierarchy, very much chain of command, powerful versus the powerless. With compliance, the relationship is really characterized 
by one person's will being placed above the others. So of course, the lesser of the two has to yield. Compliance is driven by control. There is one party making demands and the other is capitulating and giving in to comply with those demands. I've been an educator for over 10 years now and I can still remember getting ready for a new school year as a classroom teacher. I just knew that being clear on my policies and procedures, creating my classroom management plan and setting expectations from day one were all key when it came to having a great year as it related to minimizing behavioral issues. I was ready with my classroom rules. I explained them to students and clearly outlined the consequences for not following the rules. I wanted compliance. In my mind, as long as they followed my classroom rules and procedures, things would run smoothly and I could teach my lessons with minimal disruptions. I brought this same energy into the home as a parent. I decided what chores needed to be completed, who was responsible for completing them, when they needed to complete them. I made the morning schedule. I made the afternoon schedule, the evening schedule. I explained all of these things to the kids so they clearly understood the expectations and the consequences for not getting their things done. In both scenarios, in the classroom and in the home, the way that I handled those situations may sound great on the surface. I was the adult with authority and I clearly took time to think out a purposeful plan. I not only articulated the expectations, but also explained the consequences for not meeting those expectations. The only issue, which is a huge one, is that the kids weren't involved in the process at all, nor were their feelings or desires considered. In situations like these, it doesn't matter what the child thinks or feels, they just need to get with the program. As long as they're doing what they've been told, everything is great. That is compliance. Cooperation is very similar, yet extremely different at the same time. It is the process of working together to reach the same end result or to reach a common goal. Cooperation is about seeing yourself as part of something bigger than you and being willing to contribute for the good of the whole, which you recognize also includes you. In my classroom example, I quickly realized that simply having rules and consequences was not enough. This only gave me temporary compliance that masqueraded around as cooperation. Things were good until they weren't. Students behaved until that beginning of the year newness wore off and they were back to being themselves, back to the version of them that had their teachers from last year counting down to the last day of school, rethinking their whole lives and contemplating a career change. It's at that moment that I realized that I needed more than just compliance. I needed them to buy in. I needed them to understand the rules and to care enough about their classroom environment to get right even when they weren't in the mood. I needed their cooperation. I learned that my classroom management plan was much more effective 
when my students were involved in creating it. Instead of just listing my rules and consequences on the first day of school, I started letting each period help me develop classroom norms on the first day of school. I let them suggest rules and explain why it should be a rule. I let them say why they thought a rule should be taken off the list. I let them suggest consequences and the order of the consequences that students should get when they violated our classroom norms. Towards the end of about the second week, I take about five to 10 minutes in each period to revisit our norms. We check in to make sure that we had everything covered. They gave me input on revisions that we needed to make, and I actually heard them out. It was quick and easy, but it was so impactful, and it made a huge difference. What I found was that they came up with pretty much the same rules that I or most other teachers would have written. I also found that their suggested consequences were often more harsh than what I would have created. Of course, we had discussions. I made strong suggestions about certain things, and ultimately I did have the final say, but it was just so dope to allow them to be a part of that process. It created a sense of community in our classroom, and we all had to play our roles to maintain what we created. It also gave me leverage when they weren't on task. Because we'd created a space where they felt heard and they felt a sense of belonging and knowing that they contributed to our classroom norms, I could quickly remind them that they came up with those rules, they suggested those consequences, and I was simply the enforcer. It worked. Now, it wasn't magic, it's not magic, and kids will be kids, but cooperation definitely proved to provide my desired effect on a more long-term and consistent basis than what I was able to get with just focusing on compliance alone. In the home, we create the same sense of belonging by sitting down as a family to create our household schedules and systems as a collective unit where everyone has a voice. This looks like Allowing the kids to have input on the chores, maybe letting them choose their chores for the week and then rotate, or you give them a list of chores and they have to choose a certain amount for that week. Let them help you create their daily schedule. Ask them if they prefer to have snack and then do homework, or if they'd rather do their homework first and then have snack. Ask them if they would rather clean their room before or after dinner. Ask them what day of the week they want for their laundry day. What is their input for the dinner menu this week? Whatever it is, genuinely consider their feelings and their suggestions as often as you can. Let them give as much input and make as many decisions as possible within reason. These little details most likely don't matter too much to us one way or the other, but they can be so empowering for our kids just because it allows them to know what it feels like to have a voice. It gives them practice making decisions and it allows them the space to see the results of those decisions and evaluate those results while their decisions are pretty inconsequential. This is cooperation. It fosters a feeling of belonging and being a part of something. In my compliance example for parents, The goal was 
to have a clean home with a system for maintaining everything and to get everything done. As long as the kids were compliant, things ran smoothly. However, in the cooperation example, the kids weren't only expected to do their chores and follow the plan, but they also helped to create it and they understood their part in it. In the cooperation model, the kids are not just doing chores because it's a rule or because they'll be on punishment or get in trouble if they don't, but they're doing them because they understand that they are contributing to the success and the harmony of their family unit by doing their part. They're more likely to do their part without coercion or punishment when they've bought in when they feel that they play an important role in the family and that their contributions are not only needed, but also valued. They may not really care whether or not their room is clean or if there are crumbs on the table. It really probably does not bother them that their dirty clothes are on the bathroom floor still or that there aren't any more paper towels in the kitchen. But if they know that these things help mommy and daddy and everyone else in the house, if contributing is seen as something valuable in their family, and most importantly, if they have been made to feel valued, then they're more likely to contribute than if they just look at doing these things because it's their chore for the week or because they were told to do it or face a consequence. Remember that compliance is about the goal of the person with authority, while cooperation is about everyone. Now, cooperation can look very much like compliance, especially when we're looking at the parent-child dynamic, but the intentions, the motivation, and the communication between everyone involved will look totally different. Communication really is the key between the two, along with a mutual respect for each other. When you can explain why things are happening and you provide them with the space so that they can express their feelings freely, even if it doesn't change your decision, this fosters a feeling of belonging. It shows them that you actually do care what they think. You actually do care what they feel and you you're willing to hear them out. But as the parent, you have to make a final decision. Cultivating a space for cooperation has to be very intentional and deliberate. Anyone that was raised in an environment where cooperation was valued, this may come naturally to them and they may not have to spend much time thinking about it because for them, it's just the way that parenting is done. However, many of us weren't raised in this kind of home. And the way that we were raised also shapes our views about how to parent, what works and what doesn't. Even when we're fully aware that some of the ways that we were parenting weren't necessarily the best, it still takes work and time to unlearn and relearn so that a different approach can become our default. The key to achieving more cooperation from our kids is to shift our focus. When we focus too much on compliance rather than on cooperation, we unintentionally place a greater value on the outcome or on the child's behavior and not enough on the motives behind the behavior. This may seem insignificant in the short term. However, the long-term impact of this can be devastating if we get it wrong. Compliance is extremely short-sighted. 
But effective parenting requires us to have vision. It requires that we're able to make moves based on our current knowledge and on our current observations, but for future benefit. It requires that we're able to make choices in the right here and the right now that will have a positive impact on our children in the long run. So it doesn't work to only focus on the child doing what they're told because their reasoning is where the power lies. This becomes what they use to determine how to act in the future. We want them to do a thing because it's the right thing to do or because it's the best thing to do in a given situation. We want them to act and to speak based on a strong sense of values and morals and integrity. When we focus on compliance, we create situations where external factors are responsible for motivating their actions. These external factors could be rules, consequences, rewards, punishments. All of these things condition our children to act based on trying to avoid something or based on what they hope to get. Over time, this takes away from them acting based on their own internal desire to do what's right and to do what's best for themselves and for others. This is extremely counterproductive and leads to the exact opposite effect of what we actually want. We want our kids to be independent. We want them to have integrity, to make positive choices, to be leaders, and to take initiative without needing to be repeatedly told what to do and how to do it. When we focus on compliance without regard to what's actually motivating our children's compliance, they will likely have to deal with the long-term negative impact of that. When people are raised in homes where compliance was prioritized over cooperation, some of the common issues that they have to work through include fear of failure, lack of fulfillment, the inability to think independently, reduced self-confidence and decreased trust in their own abilities, insincerity and inauthenticity, self-sacrificing behaviors, and stifled critical thinking and creativity. When kids are forced to comply consistently, it can also force them into focusing on the negative consequences of not doing something or the negative consequences of doing the wrong thing. This is ultimately the fear of failure. They become scared of messing up, scared of doing something wrong. This makes it harder for them to take risks, to jump out and try new things, it can manifest in the form of procrastination, stagnation, and ultimately failure due to inactivity. And then this cycle could become a self-fulfilling prophecy for many people because then it just confirms the negative thought patterns that they already had surrounding failure and not being good enough to succeed at something. We already talked about how compliance leads kids to rely on extrinsic factors for motivation. This likely means that they'll also look outside of themselves for gratification and fulfillment. When this is the case, it's hard to be connected to the present moment because you're so busy chasing the next thing that will bring happiness and satisfaction 
And the problem is that usually they're looking outside of themselves for those things, which strengthens the idea that the source of these things is external. Compliance removes the opportunity for kids to take ownership of their own actions and behaviors, and it makes them more reliant on being told what to do and how to do it. When you're constantly required to follow rules without question or input, and you're never given the space to think freely or to express your ideas, you begin to slowly lose the ability to think for yourself, especially situations that require critical thinking. Remember, the brain is a muscle and we have to provide our children with opportunities to exercise it. When we force compliance without ever putting more accountability and ownership on them, we can send the message to them that they don't know how to think for themselves and they aren't able to independently determine right from wrong. The more that kids are directed and constantly corrected every single time they mess up, without really having the opportunity to self-reflect and to course correct on their own, the more they lose trust in their own ability to make good decisions. When kids are taught to act out of obligation or out of the fear of consequences too often, they can really start to lose their sense of self and to lose touch with their true desires and their true way of being. When you're too controlled for too long, you may forget how you would have behaved when given the choice. You may have no idea how you would respond to a situation if you had full control of your own actions. Cue the scene of an adult sitting on the couch in therapy later in life trying to find themselves or rediscover who they truly are. We cannot persistently ask kids to ignore their emotions and to comply regardless of how they truly feel and not expect negative effects in the long run. When we do this to them, it can create unhealthy patterns of emotional repression where they learn to completely ignore how they feel for the sake of others. This can also lead to an unhealthy level of selflessness that is actually self-destructive and can cause mental health challenges. When we demand that kids comply, it really stifles their creative thinking skills, their critical thinking skills, and their problem-solving skills. Being forced to comply removes any opportunity for practicing how to think through things and how to choose the best course of action. Without providing opportunities for this type of practice and mental exercise as children, do we expect that they'll magically develop those critical skills in adulthood? Good decision-making skills are not learned through osmosis. They are taught, they are modeled, they are practiced, they're evaluated and revised. And this cycle continues, allowing them to refine and sharpen their skills so that they're prepared for the important stuff later in life. I know that as parents, we really feel that we know best and we expect our kids to listen and to obey because we have their best interest at heart. The problem is that this approach, without giving them plenty of space and opportunity to be an active participant in their own life, 
it sets them up to attract relationships where there's an imbalance of power and it makes them more susceptible to manipulation and control because they're so used to people thinking for them, telling them exactly what to do and how to do it. We don't want our kids blindly following without questioning or even thinking. We want them to be leaders. We want them to think critically, to speak up when something's not right, and to be able to trust their instincts and to listen to their intuition. But we just don't want them doing those things in our house when we're trying to parent them. If it makes you feel better, just remind yourself that the most desirable traits and characteristics in adults are the hardest to parent in our kids. It's more difficult to parent a child that is strong-willed, one that is persistent, one that dances to the beat of their own drum when all we want them to do is just follow instructions. It's harder to raise kids like that, but we have to do it, which also means that we have to allow them to practice the skills as a child that we want them to have as teenagers and as adults. We want cooperation. We've always wanted cooperation, but we've been trying to get it through compliance without consideration of their thoughts and feelings, and that just doesn't work, not long-term, not without them having to do lots of work later. When kids are so conditioned to comply that they lose their desire and even their willingness to cooperate, it actually makes them harder to parent, and it can cause them to be selfish and inconsiderate. Think about it. If their experiences teach them that their actions are important only because they determine what happens to them, what they get or don't get, what they can or cannot do, what they have to do or don't have to do, then that becomes their framework and it shapes their perspective. Now, they don't even consider how their actions impact others because they are so focused on how their actions will impact them. That's how they were conditioned. As parents, we get to choose whether we'll demand compliance or whether we'll support our children's cooperation by connecting with them. We get to choose if we'll connect with our child by engaging with them to pick out their bath toys and the pajamas that they'll wear to bed, or if we'll just demand compliance by barking out orders and demanding that it's time for bath and bed, which will probably lead to threats if they refuse or fail to comply, or rewards and bribes to try to coerce them into compliance. Of course, there will be times when demanding compliance is really the only viable option, but those are not everyday situations or every week or every month situations. So we can really save absolute compliance for the more dangerous or important circumstances that usually involve their safety, like running in the street, touching the hot stove or using sharp knives. So if you're trying to figure out if you've created a space of compliance or cooperation, think about the last several times that you had to make a decision that involved your child and ask yourself these questions. Was your child able to express their thoughts and concerns freely without fear of your response? Did they feel heard? Did they feel validated? Were your child's ideas incorporated into the plan or into the solution? If not, was there a valid reason? And did you explain it to them in a way that they could understand? 
How did your child feel about your final decision? And how did you feel about how they felt? Depending on how you answered these questions, I'm sure you can make a pretty accurate assessment about your own parenting. You're either going to find that you're doing pretty well in this area, that you have a lot of work to do, or you're somewhere in between. We have to constantly remind ourselves that we're imperfect and that we are doing the best that we can, assuming that we are, and that we're committed to growth. That's the best that anyone can ever expect. If we commit to unlearning, relearning, and doing the work, we are well on our way. It doesn't matter if your child is 2 or 12. You can start right where you are and make small, gradual, but consistent progress toward your goal of being happy, loving, gentle, and considerate parents. We cannot make this long list of things that we need to change and try to tackle them all at once. This is the quickest way to cause anxiety and a sense of feeling extremely overwhelmed. Ask me how I know. Instead, we can commit to making every moment better than the last. We can commit to handling every situation better than we did the one before. And if we do that, We'll look up one day and we'll realize that our kids are getting a completely different and healthier version of us than they had before. Okay, today's show is a wrap. Please make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast so you receive alerts when new episodes drop and please leave us a five-star review. Remember that you can now send topic requests or listener questions via email to kids at dosesofmelanin.com. Lastly, please make sure that you have joined the Kids Are People to Parenting group on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at KAPT Podcast. As you go throughout the remainder of this week and into the next, Make it a priority to think of ways to see your child and parent them from the inside out. This means that you're trying to see them from within. You want to know how they're perceiving their experiences and you want to understand their resulting emotions. Your understanding of these things, along with the care that you put into your parenting, will be the basis of their willingness or unwillingness to cooperate. We have to remember to respond to every single situation with a long-term focus and not by doing what works for right now. As you continue on your positive parenting journey, give yourself grace And most importantly, give your kids grace and the space to learn and grow. We'll talk next week. Later.